All right, we are going to continue our study in Matthew. We are in the Sermon on the Mount. We are in chapter 5. And we saw last week how the great thesis statement of the sermon is found in verses 17 to 20, and it explains the relationship of Jesus and his teaching to, to that of the old covenant. And, it, and, he, and he drops a bit of info that is, is stunning, and we said it would have been almost disheartening to the first hearer when he says in verse 20 that your righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees for you to enter the kingdom of heaven. And remember, to us, scribes and Pharisees are villains and bad guys, and so we, we think that's a pretty low bar. That was their pastors and missionaries and Bible scholars. To them, it was an insanely high bar. And so he says this, that your righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. And then he turns to what we're going to read today to illustrate what he means. What kind of righteousness is it that exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees? And so he gives six examples. These are called, in academic literature, the antitheses. Okay? The antithesis statements of Matthew chapter 5, where he says, you've heard it said on the one hand, but on the other, I tell you. So his, his teaching is held in antithesis to that of what they were accustomed to hearing. So turn with me now to Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 48, as we read what our Lord says that illustrates the point he's making about the righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees. The apostle under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes thus. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body 
go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the living God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for this word. We thank you, Jesus, for revealing to us the true extent of the intent of God's law. We ask, O oh God, that you would indeed open our eyes and ears and incline our hearts. We ask that we would see in you the perfect law keeper and that we would flee to you for our righteousness. In Christ's name we pray it. Amen. All right, brothers and sisters, as I was saying before I read the passage, this section we just read today, these six antithesis statements, are six examples, six illustrations given by our Lord to explain or to build upon what he means when he says that our righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. And then he sums it all up he, with the mic drop statement, you must be perfect at the end of verse 48 
which is the summary statement that ties it all back together with what he means by the righteousness that exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees. We're talking about perfection here. Now, when we talk about the law and Jesus' relation to it, uh, understand that when he quotes here from the law, or a section of the Old Testament, or in the case of the sixth antithesis, he's simply referencing a statement that was made by the rabbis. What he's doing is he's going to explain what exactly the intent behind the law was, and he's not going to limit its application to the mere letter. We are called to be holy. That call does not go away simply because we are Christians. We talked last week about how Jesus in no way, shape, or form saw himself as lowering the bar of righteousness. In every case here, he amps up, he ratchets up significantly the idea of what constitutes righteousness, what constitutes conformity to the standard set by the law, which is what righteousness is. Now, so the first thing that I want to do, there are going to be, there's a couple sections of my sermon. The first thing is, I want you, if you're you're making an outline, write uh, two things of which to beware. Okay, that's the first section. Two things of which to beware. Okay, there are a couple errors that we can make living in light of the resurrection of Christ, okay? Uh, The first is forgetting that we are called to be holy, okay? We can forget that we are called to be holy. Not, not, Not just the holiness that says, I believe in Jesus and he's my righteousness. No, I mean practical holiness, You are to mortify the desires and the deeds of the flesh. You are to put to death the sinful impulses and inclinations of our hearts. We are to walk in a manner that pleases the Lord. This is is consistent throughout the word of God. And so what we see in this passage, the, the big point is that righteousness stems from the heart. Okay, true righteousness is not found in mere conformity to behavioral standards and expectations, but rather it flows from the heart. But one of the big problems we have is we oftentimes think that righteousness can stem from the heart and I guess stay in the heart. For example, let me, uh, let me use an illustration. Um which some of us may be, may be uh, more guilty of, speeding. There's the letter of the law. Don't exceed the posted speed limit. Well, what's, what's the real principle behind that? The, the real principle is concern for safety, concern for public regard, concern for... Okay, all right, that's the real principle. So as long as I'm being careful... As long as I'm, you know, keeping the grand principle behind the letter of the law, I don't got to keep the letter of the law. It doesn't really matter if I'm speeding as long as I'm being careful. 
Or, or let's say that, that, it, that, that, that famous hypothetical, which for some of us isn't always so hypothetical, you come up, you know, it's nighttime, and there's a red light, and there's nobody coming from across, at, nothing, you are alone. What's the intent of that red light? To manage the flow of traffic for publics. There's no one here, so it doesn't matter if I stop at that light, does it? Or does it? Okay. There's this impulse we have that as long as, in my mind, I've discerned or determined the true point behind the letter of the law, that I don't actually then have to keep the letter of the law. Understand that Jesus affirms the letter of the law. His point is that the letter of the law is only the beginning. His point is not that once you've determined the grand principle that you can then ignore the letter of the law. So again, one, beware of the idea or beware of forgetting that you are called to be holy. On the other hand, Beware of thinking that what Jesus is doing here is setting down a new covenant form of legalism. Beware of thinking that what he is doing here is setting down absolute principles that are to be followed the letter of the law. So, in church history, there were those who said, you know, if, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out. If your right hand causes you to c- cut it off. And, and, and they believed in self-mutilation. There are some who because, and I would say they are absolutely missing the point of this passage. There are some I've heard, uh, in my ministry I've heard, you know, a lady's out walking with her husband and I guess, I guess she's just looking for a way out, and he sees that, that, that a hottie walks by, and he take, does a double take. Oh, he, 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 he lost it. That's adultery. Boom, I'm free. That's, that's to turn this into a, a legal code when Jesus is doing here is illustrating the heart. Okay? Understand that the problem that the Pharisees had is a problem that we can all too often have ourselves. By the time of Jesus' day, it is true that there was a vast gulf between what the Bible taught and what they should have believed and, 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 and what they did teach and, and what they did believe. But somewhere along the way, things started with good intentions. Somewhere along the way, in the exile or shortly after the return, the, the rabbis said, you know what? We, we, got it, we, we, got, we got in trouble because we tolerated violations of the law. So we need to make sure that Torah does not get violated. And so they set up what, what we sometimes refer to as fence laws. If it's, if it's wrong to, if it's wrong to uh, do any work on the Sabbath, then, then it's wrong to, to even uh, have a meal prepared. 
if it's, if it's wrong to do any work, then you can't even help someone out of a ditch, which is actually contrary to the law. If it's, if, if it's wrong to do this, then I'm going to make an extra standard so that if, if I keep you from here, then you will get nowhere near to here. And we are oftentimes tempted to do the same thing if we're not careful. We turn the law of God into a legalistic code to be followed to the letter. And here's an example. Jesus says that there's adultery, but lust is behind adultery. Okay, so we got to make sure that we're not causing people to lust, right? Okay, so I've been to a church, and I've told you about this, where they had a notch on the door. All skirts must be below this. I've seen pictures of this is the approved haircut. Don't play cards. Don't go to any movies because, you know, there's so much immorality. It's, it's, it's not enough to say don't go to immoral movies. It's just don't go to movies. And, it's, and, and we don't just say that kind of stuff. We judge spirituality based upon conformity to these rules and these extra biblical man-made standards. Brothers and sisters, that is essentially what the Pharisees were doing. And Jesus, it's not that he condemns in this context a desire to, to keep the law of God uh, from being violated, but he correctly diagnoses the problem that it is mere conformity to behavioral expectations. If you think that righteousness is just about behavior, you are missing the boat. So beware of, of thinking that, or beware of forgetting that we are called to be holy, and beware of thinking that Jesus is instituting a new legalistic code. What he says here in these six examples, he employs a lot of hyperbole, such as gouging out your eye and cutting off your hand. He engages in a lot of hyperbole to make a point of just how inner the warfare really is. And you may be thinking, well, well Ben, if the, if the law really requires, I don't know, in the case of adultery, if, if the law is really saying that we shouldn't lust, then how come the, the law doesn't just, doesn't just cut off lusting? Well, re remember... The purpose of the law, one of the purposes was it was the legal code for the nation of Israel. And for a man-made legal code, you can't outlaw anger, right? I mean, could you imagine the, the horrific state where they were outlawing every thought crime? Okay, when it comes to the laws of man, there, there has to be a clear line of what you can enforce and not. You, you can't outlaw lust. How do you do that? How would you do that at a, at a civil level? So the law of God, God and his wisdom, he outlaws the things that in terms of a penal code are enforceable, the outward behaviors. But it was never his intent that the people of God should limit the application in terms of their walk with God to the outer code. 
His intent was always the heart. If you don't believe me, just get on your Google search if you don't have Bible software. The, the Old Testament is chalked full of statements such as, incline your hearts to the Lord. Seek the Lord with your heart. Circumcise your heart. Their covenant sign was to be an indicator of their need for regeneration. It was always pointing to the heart. And so Jesus here gives us these antithesis statements. And there are, there are four reasons for these antithesis, antithesis statements. First, he wants to underscore just how the rabbis had missed the mark. And it had resulted in false assurance and in false guilt. Okay? Jesus wants them to understand that mere outward conformity to code, while not committing murder is definitely required, but, but if that's your bar, that's remarkably low. And a whole, as he, Jesus will point out, a whole lot of wickedness confessor in a heart where all you think that you have to do to meet the requirement of righteousness is not murder. The second thing that Jesus wants us to do, and this is why he gives these six statements, is he wants us to be humble before God. Remember the first beatitude. The poor in spirit, blessed are the poor in spirit. He wants us to be humble before the Lord, to understand that the true requirement of the law is absolute inward, reflected outward perfection. Absolute. Third, he wants us to understand the true location of righteousness. Contrary to the teaching of the rabbis, true righteousness is not located in one's conformity to ritualistic rules. True righteousness is located in the heart. But in telling us where true righteousness originates, he tells us where sin originates too. Again, if you go through life thinking that the only thing that you're required to do is not actually kill somebody, but I can, I can harbor resentment, I can harbor bitterness, I can wish for their, 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 their harm, I can, just, I can do all sorts of malicious stuff, as long as I don't actually kill them, then I'm righteous. If that's your outlook, then you have given yourself to sin aren't even aware. And Jesus wants you to understand the battle for righteousness, the battle for righteousness and for sin is all in the heart. And yes, it expresses itself out in actions, but it's the heart that must be inclined to the Lord. It's, it's the heart that must be directed against one's own sinful impulses. It's the heart. And finally, in the fourth beatitude, he speaks of those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And he wants to give us a target. This is, this is the target to aim for if you're hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Your entire character 
should reflect that of your father. And indeed, that's, that's what he says in verse 48. You must be perfect. But even here in verse 48, Jesus is not inventing a new concept. Did, did you know that he's basically just repeating Deuteronomy 18.13? The old King James translates it, you shall be perfect before the Lord your God. So when Jesus says that in Matthew 5.48, once again, he's showing the continuity between the Testaments that his teaching is, is not undermining or out of accord with that of Moses. Rather, he's, he's stripping away all of the ridiculous add-ons that have been added, the redirects, the sleight of hands, the forgetting of certain passages and the absolutizing of other passages. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. To be perfect. And of course, we know we can't do that, which is why we must run to Christ. But, but in your aim to please your Father, the battle is to be fought inside. And as you read down each of these sixth antithesis statements, I, I hope as we read it, you, you saw and you perceived, you almost, you almost intuitively felt the radical otherness of it. Where Jesus here, he's, he's really fleshing out in these illustrations what it means to love the Lord of all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and our neighbor as ourself, where we're in the first antithesis in verses 21 to 26. He, he says, you have heard that you shall not murder, which is true. You, you better not murder or you'll be liable to judgment. But then he takes it to the anger. That is the seed from which murder comes. And then he takes it even further to the, to the resentment and to the scorn that results in us calling people names. And then he takes it to the estranged relationships and the wanting to be right. And, and Jesus, is, he reveals a, uh, what's interesting is that the, in verse 25 and 26, come to terms quickly with your accuser. Some people think he's only saying, you know you're guilty, you know that you know you're guilty, and you know that if he takes you to court, you're going to lose, so just be reconciled right away. And that's possible. There are times where, where, where people, we use the legal code. We know, we know that if they go through the trouble and pay the hassle of taking us to court, they, they may win. But we're going to bet on the fact that they're not going to do that. And so we exploit that situation to our ends. And Jesus forbids that. But I think he's going even further, and so do a lot, because it's a crapshoot. If you think that if you go to court, that, that you have a 100% chance of true justice occurring, I'm sorry, I'm sorry to burst your bubble. Humans err, even when they're well-intentioned. And that's assuming they're well-intentioned. So in other words, if you go to court, there's a crapshoot. You, you, may, you may win, but you may lose it all. So reconcile. So in this first antithesis, Jesus, he's 
saying that the heart of righteousness is one that not only doesn't harbor anger, that doesn't harbor malicious thoughts and, and, and slanderous words, but, but is actively seeking right relationship with others. It's the opposite of murder, which seeks the elimination of others. It's the same with verses 27 to 30 with his antithesis statement about adultery. You shall not commit adultery. And absolutely, you better not. And if you read what, what kind of ridiculous actions that, that, that they were talking about in the rabbinical literature of the day, we're no different. I remember as a high schooler, what can I do? With my girlfriend, what, you know, where's the line? What, what can I do that doesn't count immorality? What can I get away with? And they were asking the same types of questions. And he says, if you're even lusting. And then he makes a statement that's not just about lust. But he makes a statement that you should apply across the board. When it comes to the war you should wage, you should wage war. On your sinful nature. And that's why Paul writes about putting to death. That your hatred of sin should be so great. That you view even the smallest sin. As offensive as God does. And so it would be as it were better to live without a part of your body. Than to have that sin. And then he moves on to the issue of oaths. Because like so many cultures of the world, there were so many nuanced cultural dances they could play, little verbal loopholes they could give to get out of doing what they said. And, and we're no different. I, I Immediately as I was studying this, I thought of what, I used to, what we used to do as kids all the time. And I hope it's limited to childhood. I hope no one's doing this as an adult. But we do other things. So I would tell someone a promise, whatever, but what would I do behind my back? And in my mind, because I did this, this, that meant that I was actually not a liar for breaking what I said to them? How stupid. How foolish. How wicked. And Jesus... He says something revolutionary. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. The, the, the truly righteous person is not someone that we have to tap dance and try to figure out if you're telling us the truth or not. Just tell the truth. He moves on to, he moves on to the issue of retaliation. In verses 38 to 42... You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And, and that is true. It's called the lex talionis. It's in the law of Moses. But read the context. The, the law, in its, in its context, the law of, of retaliation, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, it was intended to ensure that justice was meted out equitably. That the rich didn't get lighter sentences. That the poor didn't get more severe sentences. It was also to limit the extent because every single one of us is vengeful. Every single one of us, if left to ourselves, 
justice or balancing the scales or getting payback always means that we got the better deal of it. And the law of God was intended in that old covenant context to make sure that rich, poor, male, female, it didn't matter, justice would be the same. But they had turned it into an old, you touch a me, I break a you face. You know how it goes. That's the way, that's the way a sinful human heart, that's what happens Whenever well-intentioned as it may have originally been, when, when we're confronted with our sinful heart, we're always going to be looking for the angle. Which is why we must continually turn inward. And I skipped divorce in 31 and 32. I'm sorry. Moses authorized divorce. And later, Jesus is going to teach more on divorce. And he's going to say that it was only out of a concession to your wicked heart that it was, it was granted. But what they had done is turned it into a license where for literally any reason, a man could just cast a woman out. And that is wickedness. It wasn't that Moses said it's okay for any reason to just cast her out. That's not at all what Moses said, but that's what they were doing. And so Jesus ups the ante. There should be a profound otherness. If you kick her out for no reason, she has to remarry. I mean, that's the reality of the culture. Other than that, or she would die on the street. But because you've kicked her out for no reason, you're, you're causing her to commit adultery. Jesus wants us to have a profoundly others-centered perspective. He wants us to understand that loving our neighbor as ourselves means that we think through the second and third order consequences of the actions we are considering. And that we see that marriage is to have profound sanctity. But then in verses 43 and 48 through 48, he speaks of love and hatred. And, and this right here is the one that gives us the clue that he's not reversing the law of Moses, but rather he's addressing misapplications of it by the religious leaders. He says, you have heard it said that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That, some of you may think that that's an Old Testament verse, but it's not. Now, the first part of the verse is a quote from the Old Testament, from Leviticus 19, 18, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But that second part, and hate your enemy, okay, that's not a Bible verse. There's, that's not a Bible clause. It's just something that the rabbis had deduced. Now, understand that there were reasons why they deduced that? Let's be honest. If you read some of the Psalms, I mean, D David is pretty uh, gleeful about rejoicing that he's like chasing down his enemies. They're trying to run away, but they can't get away. And he runs them through the back. And he treads on their dead bodies. Hallelujah. God save you from my enemies. And it's like, whoa, whoa. So reading stuff like that 
gave the, the rabbis the idea, well, if they're our enemies, it's okay to hate them. But that's not what God's word says. You know what God's word in the Old Testament actually does say about an attitude towards one's enemies? Did you know that enemies are addressed or, or, or people of Israel are addressed relating to how they should treat their enemies? It's, it's, there's not a lot of treatment on it, but there is this. In Exodus 23, verses 4 and 5, we read the following. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall bring it back to him. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying down under its burden, you shall refrain from leaving him with it. You shall rescue it with him. That's the law of God. So what the rabbis had done is considered the, what they perceived to be the inferences from some parts of Scripture, but they had neglected what the Bible had to say in other places. Namely, that the law of God called them to even show kindness to their enemies, to those who are persecuting. When Jesus says, bless those, pray for those who persecute you, the word persecute means they are intending you harm. The righteous person is praying even for those who are intending them harm. Just as in Jesus' teaching on retaliation, we are to turn the other cheek when we are slandered, offended, insulted. We are to have hearts that are radically others-centered. Because our Father in heaven has a heart that lavishes love, that lavishes patience, that lavishes mercy on all of his undeserving creation. So Jesus is calling us to model this character. Jesus, I'm positive, could have listed any of the other commandments in God's law. There were 613 laws, commandments in the Torah. Jesus lists six by way of illustration to show that in every case, what the righteous person does is it says, okay, the law says this. How can I from my heart demonstrate that I am committed to modeling my father's character. It's about character. It's about your father's character being reflected in your life for we are, as his sons and daughters, his recreated image in this world. So to be salt and light, we must look, act, think, feel, and believe differently. And remember, when he says to, to give to the one who's wanting to take from you, to, to turn the other cheek to the one who's offending you, to, to even look after the good of those who are trying to harm you, he's not saying be the world's biggest doormat. We seek our vindication, but our vindication will come from the Lord. Okay? So brothers and sisters, this is the righteousness that exceeds 
that of the scribes and the Pharisees. The righteousness that is perfect because it flows from a character that is reflecting the will and the purpose of God. And of course, we need Jesus because none of us is perfect. But let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this passage. Thank you for giving us these examples, Lord. We pray that we would have a heart that is inclined towards you, that seeks out how we can reflect your character, seeking the welfare and the well-being of others, eschewing the claims of prerogative, wanting vindication right now, Lord, grant that we would walk in true holiness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.